Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The word of the Lord. So we've just begun a sermon series in the Gospel of Mark, which is the second book in the New Testament. And last week, I mentioned to you that for the first few decades, really, uh, nobody wrote down what Jesus had done because it was transmitted orally. That was the culture they lived in. Uh, but at a certain point, after all the eyewitnesses had passed away, it became necessary to write down uh, everything about the life and the teaching of Jesus Christ. And Mark has done that here in this gospel because he doesn't want anyone to misunderstand who Jesus is. He doesn't want there to be any misunderstanding whatsoever. Now, this is important. And it's important because we're always in danger of misunderstanding Jesus. And that was true back then. It's true today. And this passage this morning is going to clear up some misunderstandings that we might have because, well, sometimes we just don't see Jesus right. And, you know, he lived a very controversial life. It was very controversial. And a lot of the things he said were upside down and they didn't sort of sync with the current religious ideas and thinking of it just it was didn't make any sense. Even our passage this morning, you'll notice at the very end, Mark says of Jesus that Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. Which is weird. It's kind of strange, isn't it, that that Jesus would say that? And I haven't I haven't come to call good people, but really bad people, to follow me. Sounds kind of strange, enigmatic. What's, what's Jesus saying here? Well, we're going to figure this out this morning under two big headings, and really it's right from the passage, that the kind of people that Jesus calls, well, on the one hand, Jesus calls sinners to himself. But there's a group of people that Jesus doesn't call, and they aren't sinners They're the righteous. He calls sinners to himself, but he doesn't call the righteous. And we're going to figure out this morning what Jesus is talking about. So first, Jesus calls sinners to himself. Now, Jesus is teaching on the sea. And there's a large crowd, an enormous crowd, maybe a crowd numbering in the thousands. And they are listening to Jesus and they're following Jesus. That's important. And I don't want us to miss that because Mark doesn't just throw words away. It's important, and we'll see why in just a second here. So 
Jesus is walking, and as he walks, he sees this man named Levi. And Levi is a tax collector. Levi is sitting at a tax booth, and Jesus sees him, and he stops, and he talks to him. Even though there are thousands of people, he stops. And he looks at Levi, and he talks to Levi, and it's as though Levi is the only person there in front of Jesus at that moment. And I want to just for a moment explain to you what this guy Levi is doing at this tax booth. We have to get this context. At this time, Israel was governed by the Roman Empire. They were an occupied people. And the Roman Empire did an interesting thing in terms of collecting taxes. They would hire people from their various uh, places all over the empire. So here in Israel, they would hire Jews, and the Jews would be responsible for collecting taxes. And so here's how this worked. Uh, Romans say uh, there's a certain quota. You have to get taxes, this many taxes. And after that quota, the tax collector was free to charge whatever he wanted to charge. And they did. And so they were really wealthy people. They were rich, but they were despised. And they were despised because Jews at that time would have considered these people traitors. They were working for Rome. They were working for the enemy, working for the occupier. And so they were disliked, to say it uh, lightly. In fact, we know from history that they were kind of seen on the same level as murderers and robbers. They were disqualified from ever being a witness in court because you couldn't trust their testimony. They were kicked out of the synagogue. They weren't allowed to worship in the temple. They were persona non grata. They were infamous. Everybody knew the tax collector and avoided them. And Jesus, Jesus, I believe, would have known about Levi because everybody knew about Levi. But what's really interesting is that Jesus not just knows about him, but he, he doesn't avoid this guy. He actually walks up to him, he stops, he talks, he speaks to him. But then what comes out of his mouth is extraordinary. Because Jesus says to him, follow me. Now, that's probably a phrase that you may have heard, and you've heard a few times if you've gone to church. Uh, I, I think we need to kind of step back for a second and appreciate what's going on there, because Jesus is borrowing a phrase that would have been used in rabbinic culture. Here's how it worked. If you wanted to become a, a trainee of a rabbi, if you want to become their disciple, you would go to that rabbi, you would say, hey, can I become your, your disciple? And if after a while the rabbi said, yeah, you know what, you've got some promise, he would speak the word, follow me. And this phrase would trigger or initiate a discipleship relationship. But here you see Jesus simply moving in, doesn't wait for Levi to come to him. He moves in, in grace, and he simply says to Levi, out of the blue, follow me. In other words, I want you to become my disciple. 
I'm going to teach you. I'm going to train you. I want you to follow me. Now, when you look at the calling of Levi, there are certain details that were unique to him. But when it comes to following Jesus Christ, there are some elements here that just transcend his experience. And they are for everyone all the time. And they are these. That, that when Jesus calls a person, he calls a sinner to himself. And there will be certain elements that you can count on to see. One is that this call will be powerful. Two, it's going to be personal. And three, it's going to be life-changing. Here's what I mean, powerful, first of all. I've talked to a lot of people over the years about how they came to faith. And maybe I want you to think about how you came to faith. A lot of people grow up in the church. They hear sermons just like the one that you're hearing this morning. And maybe that's your story. Maybe you went to church and you sat in a pew and you heard stories, sermons from the Bible. But at some point in your life, you began to experience a power moving upon you. This had to be the case. Or even if you didn't go to church, maybe you were just going through your life and you began to feel a power beginning to work upon you. And it may not have been drastic or immediate, but kind of dripping like water over time. But there, there had to have been some kind of power that you couldn't explain beginning to work on you. Have you experienced that power? The power of God breaking into your life. Because that is the call of God. But it's not just powerful, it's, it's also personal. And here's what I mean. I mean a couple of things by this. Um, track with me for a second here. First of all, it means that you know that God is dealing with you. You know, like he's, he, he's in this huge crowd. He, he takes time and he speaks to a man named Levi. Have you ever had that experience where you know that God is dealing with you personally by name? Not just, you know, part of the crowd, but, but personally. That you have not experienced only a power breaking into your life, but you have a sense that Jesus Christ is interacting with you personally, as though you're the only person on the face of the earth. Have you had that? Or, or maybe it wasn't sort of a slow trickle effect, but it was more of a dramatic effect where you began to feel God working on your, your life personally. I know that's my story. I wasn't looking for God. I had no interest in God. I had no desire to become a Christian. It was very inconvenient for me to become a Christian. <laughs> I had a life I wanted to live, and it did not involve God. But then it began to break in, and very quickly, very dramatically, I would say, I saw my great need for Jesus Christ, and I began to follow him. You know, whether, whether it's slow or if it's dramatic, you feel a power, but you also feel God working on your life personally. Personally. But by personal, I also mean this. I mean that you know that Jesus is calling you to himself. He's not calling you to some kind of rules or some kind of ideas or some kind of religion. You're being called to a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ was the most, I'll say it, self-centered person you'll, you'll, you'll find. Everywhere he went, everywhere he talked about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I and the Father are one. Every time he spoke, he talked about himself. And he talked about himself in a, in a way that, that we don't talk about ourselves because he actually was the life. He was the way. He was the truth. He was the savior of the world. Constantly talking, constantly calling people to himself. And I wonder, have you had that sense in your life where not only was he working on your heart as a person, but he was calling you to himself as a person. You know, a lot of people, when they think about Christianity, they want to know. They want to know first, um, you know, what's Christianity about? What's its view on sexual ethics? What's its, what's its view on finances? What's its view on all kinds of things like abortion or whatnot? And I think these questions are badly timed. What I mean is this. If Jesus is really who he claimed to be, if he is God in, in, in human body, if he is the way, the truth, and the life, then those things are not irrelevant, but they're secondary. The first thing you've got to work through and contend with is this, that Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be. You see that? And so the question I'm asking you this morning is this, have you had that encounter with Christ? where you know as a person that you're being called to follow a person. And that person being Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came into the world to die for your sins. Do you know in some ways that you're a sinner, that he has pursued? Because Jesus Christ calls sinners to himself. But it's not just a power and it's not just personal. There's a third thing I want to say here before we move on to the second part of the sermon, which is this, that when Jesus calls a person to himself, it is life-changing. It is radically life-changing. I mean, look at, look at Levi. He gets up from his tax booth and he walks away. And that's not just a geographical statement. When it says he walked away, he was leaving his life. He was leaving his livelihood. He was leaving his wealth. He was leaving everything. This is a radical call to discipleship. Now, I don't think the point is that Jesus is calling you necessarily to quit your jobs and follow him. Might be. I don't know. But what I do know is that he's calling you to walk away from whatever it is that's getting in the way of a relationship with him. Because that is the radical nature of of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And sometimes I think that we think that being a disciple of Jesus Christ means that I can live my life however I want and still call myself a Christian. But Jesus here is saying this. You, you need to hear this. To be my disciple, Jesus says, you, you have to follow me. Wherever I go, Wherever I take you, whatever the cost, whatever the sacrifice. Because you see, when, when Christ calls somebody, it is a call to die. 
It is a call to die and live. But it is a call to radically follow Jesus Christ, come what may. And sometimes that means, and actually often that means, that Jesus Christ will take you into a place of suffering and hurt. Jesus himself was called to that life. He knew what it was to be called by his father to a life of suffering. And if God called his son to suffer and suffer on a cross, you can believe he's going to call you into suffering. It is the path of discipleship. It is where he takes those when he says, follow me. The idea of a problem-free life, the idea of a life without heartache and heartbreak is absolutely alien to this call to follow me, Jesus said. You can take courage this morning in this, a great comfort. Jesus Christ gets it. I mean, he knows what it is to be called. He was a human man just like we are human beings. And the Father called him and called him into suffering. And he knows what it's like. He knows that path. He's traveled that path. But this is the path that he will meet you on. Do you see that? You may not have, and you probably won't have, all the answers in this life. But you know this, that where he takes you will be only to a good place. Because he will be there with you. But friends, let's have no doubts about this. That this call is a radical call. It's not a take it or leave it kind of call. It's not a half in, half out. It's an all in, I'm going to follow you. And when I stumble, I will stand up and I'll keep going. But I will keep going. I will keep on following you. That's the call of Christ. And it's the call of Christ to sinners. Here's the deal, friends. When Christ calls a man, when Christ calls a woman... When Christ calls anybody, he calls them. He calls them and, and there's no being uncalled. You, you just, you cannot get away from this call. He will call you and he will keep calling you. Philippians chapter three talks about this. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus it is a call heavenward. It is a call through this life and a call that does not finish. I'm not even sure if it finishes in eternity. There's no getting away from this call, if you're called. It's always there. And when you stray, it's there. And there's no peace when you stray, because that call is upon you. That could be very inconvenient, trust me. That could be very inconvenient. But if you think about it, that's a reason to give thanks, that he will not leave you alone. He will keep calling you, keep calling you, come to me, come back to me. 
It is irresistible. It is relentless. And so we give thanks and we keep on walking. We keep on following him. This is his call. And it is a call that goes out to sinners. And it's a call that only goes out to sinners. Because Jesus says here in this story of Levi that it is not a call for those who are righteous. Now we're going to have to unpack that, right? But that's what's going on here. Now, listen, I don't want to confuse you, so just hang in there with me. So next scene, Jesus is at Levi's, right? He's gone over to Levi's house, and look who shows up. Who shows up? All of Levi's friends, right? Tax collectors and sinners. More tax collectors and more sinners. They're all at Levi's house. That's all that's at Levi's house. Maybe that's all Levi knew. Maybe those are the only people that would hang out with Levi. I, I don't know, but that's who's there. But they're not the only people there. Look who else is there. Who else is there? The Pharisees. Now, who are they? they these are the hyper-religious people of the day. Okay? These are the people who are, quote-unquote, righteous. They think they're good with God. But they're snobs. They're self-righteous. And they have no time for people like Levi. And they're a little confused, or so it seems, as to what on earth Jesus is doing, hanging out with Levi and people like Levi. Because Pharisees did not hang out with people like that. To hang out with people like that would be to make them unclean. You can't have that. When it says that they were there, I don't think they were in the house. From what I read elsewhere, they didn't go into people's houses like Levi or those people. I think they were on the outside. And they asked the question, how is it that your leader hangs out in needs with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus somehow gets a word back to them and he says this, and it's a bomb. doctor does not need to go to those who are healthy. If you're healthy, you don't need a doctor. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And just let that sit with you for a second. I didn't come to call the righteous. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying that if you think that you're righteous, if you think that you've got your stuff together spiritually, if you think that you're on the right with God because you're doing all the right things. Jesus says, I haven't come to call you. I haven't come to call you to be my disciple. If you have got no need for grace, if you don't see yourself as a sinner, I, I, I have not come to call you. Maybe that worries you. It should. If it worries you, good. And if you say to me, well, is there any hope then? There is hope. But you have to hear this. You have to become a sinner. Like it won't do you any good to remain righteous. You have to become a sinner. Like Levi. I'm going to help you with that this morning. This should be fun. I'm going to help you this morning to identify 
if you're righteous or self-righteous. It's important. So me this morning may be thinking about who Jesus Christ is, and you would kind of fall on this side of being righteous, self-righteous. You feel like you're a good person. You don't see yourself as a sinner. You don't see yourself needing God's grace and forgiveness. But some of you, and I'm certainly not included in this crowd, struggle with being self-righteous. And it gets in the way, doesn't it, of grace and of growth. And I think we all struggle with that on some level. So this is for you too. Even for those of you who are called and who are understanding that you're a sinner. We do struggle, don't we? Do you know what I'm saying? Makes sense. Well, there are a couple of things that, that I think we've got to do. One is we've got to identify the characteristics of the self-righteous. You want, some, you want to do this with me this morning? Have some fun? Should be good. All right. You know that you're self-righteous if you have a firm belief in your own righteousness. All right? Now, notice in our passage, and we won't have to go outside of our passage. It's all here. You know, they refer to these people in, in our story, these Pharisees, as what? Sinners and tax collectors. Okay? So there's a group of people called sinners. Okay? And they're over here. And if there's a group of people who are sinners, then what does it make people who are not in that category? Well, they're the righteous ones, you see. Sinners are in a different category. These people are righteous. They have this inflamed sense of their own rightness and goodness. Who are they? Well, they're not sinners. They're the righteous ones. Unfortunately, John 1 says that if we say, if we claim to have no sin, then we make God out to be a liar and the truth isn't in us. So that's not good. Identifying characteristic number two, not just a firm belief in our own righteousness, but we practice what you might call easy righteousness. Like, I don't think it's that hard to avoid people, right? I mean, I don't think it was that difficult for the Pharisees to sort of stand outside and keep their distance from people like Levi and tax collectors and sinners. That's easy. And Jesus said to them all the time, you know what? You, you, you take an easy route. You tithe on dill and mint and cumin and little things, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law like justice and mercy and faith. It's not hard to be self-righteous. You just got to find an easy kind of righteousness, an easy thing that you can pull off, right? And all you have to do is sort of neglect the fact that God is holy and that his standards are impossibly high for us as sinners. You just simply have to practice easy righteousness and you for sure are self-righteous. And three, there's a tendency to keep... How are we doing this morning so far? Doing good? Okay. Three, a tendency to keep your distance from certain people, which sounds like the last one, but track with me here. These people are unclean. These people over here are unclean. These tax collectors and sinners are unclean. I'm going to keep my distance. Now, the question I'm wondering is, are there people like that in your life and you want nothing to do with them? As far as you're concerned, they're unclean. And you don't want to contaminate yourself. 
And so you keep your distance. You see, the self-righteous will always distance themselves from other people and for a tendency to look down on others. Tax collector and sinners, these were actually names. They were slogans. They were put-down phrases. If you wanted to insult anybody, you would call them a tax collector. Try it. You tax collector. The self-righteous will always put people down because it's a way of helping them to feel better about themselves. You see that? And five, there's, just, it's a, there's a complete war against the concept of grace. We can't have grace. Can't admit that I'm wrong. Can't admit that I'm sinful. Because I'm banking my entire hope on my moral performance. And so I don't need grace. Hate grace. How are we doing? I'm trying to help you this morning. I'm trying to help you become sinful. Okay? I'm trying to help you to stop being righteous. And the second thing I want to encourage you to do is not just identify some of these identifying characteristics of the self-righteous, but I also want to encourage you to see that what you need, and this is the word I used last week, it's the word repentance. Repentance means to turn from something to something. And what you're being called to do here is this. This is how you become a sinner. You have to repent of your righteousness. And you have to turn in faith to Jesus Christ. You, you have to come to him and say, Lord, I don't even, I don't just need you to forgive me for my sins. I actually need you to forgive me for my righteousness. For all of the things I think will make you happy with my life so that you will accept me. And to come to a place where you say, you know what? Your word's right. Even my righteousness is like filthy rags before you. And I repent of my righteousness before you. And I need Jesus to save me, not only from my sin, but also from my righteousness. Because at the end of the day, I don't have anything that I can use to stand before you. You've got to come to a place of grace. And grace is where Jesus is going in our story. When I was, I don't know, a teenager in high school, it was art class. And I came upon this painting by Caravaggio called The Calling. Well, I'll tell you what the title was in a second. It's a depiction of our story this morning. And in the depiction, it's a dark, low-lit room. And there's a table, and around the table are four men. And into the door comes Jesus, and the light is beaming sort of behind him onto the people, lighting up their faces. And one of them has their hand. It seems like he's pointing to himself. He's like he's, he's surprised that Jesus would want him. That's one view. The other view is that he's pointing down the table to a guy who's playing with his coins. 
Either way, it doesn't matter. The fact is that when Jesus moves in with grace, he moves in for sinners. Where are you this morning? Are you a sinner? Or are you a righteous person? What Jesus is saying here is you need to become sinful. You need to become a sinner. Because that's who Jesus came for. People who know they need him. People who know they need his grace to wash them clean. And so be a sinner. And be a sinner who needs Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we pray, Father, that you would help us to see that we are all here in this room sinners and all needing your grace to forgive us and change us. And Father, we want to follow you. Jesus, we want to follow you. And Father, we, we do want to follow you in to the place wherever you take us, whether that is easy or hard. We'll need grace, Father, for the journey. Because you know our hearts and you know we're prone to wander. And we're prone to become self-righteous and we're prone to run away. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news of salvation. And Father, may all of us today hear that gospel. May all of us be encouraged and thrilled by that gospel. That you came into this world, Jesus, to save sinners. And Father, we, um, we look now to this table. And we ask, Father, that you would meet us around this table. Thank you for giving your life, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for giving us your son, your own dear son. May this table, Father, be a means of grace and encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen.